Isn't it good to be in church this morning? Isn't it good to be a Christian? There's no other life like this life. What, we, what we've done when Brother Branham would say, you raise your hand, he said, that's the greatest thing you've ever done. Welcome to the house of the Lord. All of you that are here, some that may be downstairs, some that are at home, God bless you. We're happy to be gathered together in heavenly places Amen. this morning. It's wonderful, wonderful to be a Christian. We welcome every one of you. It sure is. We've had a couple of nice days. I've been watching the geese flying, and I'm going, I, I feel like going home too. I feel like going home too. Well, we're, we're happy for everyone that's here. Uh, Brother Darren Boyer from Grand Prairie. Um, is here with us today. We're really looking forward to what God has laid on his heart and the Lord using our brother. I've known Brother Darren. He's a pastor in Grand Prairie now. But I've known him when he was just a young man, and he was a bachelor, batching with two other brothers in a home. 
and uh, I went up and took an invitation to minister in Grand Prairie, and I consented to stay with these three young men and allow them to feed me. It was a little sketchy, but uh, nonetheless, I survived. And Brother Darren survived, and uh, it was, uh, I've known Brother Darren, and if, if you want an example of what somebody can do when they give themselves to the Lord, Brother Darren's a good example. I've watched God do wonderful things in his life. He's got a wonderful wife, a wonderful family. You know, we've got so much to be thankful for. God, God does all things well. So Brother Darren, and more than that, has given himself to this message and to this word. And in doing so, God has blessed and honored him. And I believe we're in for a blessing today. So let's, let's not be... Uh, looking and trying to figure out Brother Darren. He's got his approach and his way, but let's be looking for the Lord to minister to us this morning. There's a, in addition to Brother Darren Boyer and his family that are here, there's a couple of sisters, I believe, that came. Sis, just the one, Sister Brenny, that's you. God bless you. Nice to have you here. We're, we're happy that you could come as well. Amen. Let's, this morning, let's get into the Spirit. Let's, I, I want you to be conscious this morning. Don't just look at what you see on the outside, but in this building, in another world, in another dimension, there's the angels of God. Amen. The devil is there fighting too, but if you can tap into what the Lord has this morning, and we allow the Lord to move and to work in our midst, I believe he has something for us. So we need to get in the Spirit. You know what you're going to do to make this service is, is just start pulling on the word. Just start as our brother minister. So we're going to give way to our brother Darren. Um, come to my soul. Come to my soul. We want the Lord to minister to us this morning. We're going to invite our brother. We're going to give him the liberty. We'll allow what God has ministered. And, and I, I just, I'm, I'm looking forward because God is, God's desire is greater than our desire. Amen. Let's, let's sing this as we invite our brother. Come to my soul, blessed Jesus, my Lord. Oh, hear me, oh, Savior divine.
want to greet you this morning in Jesus' precious name. Everyone that uh, we get the privilege to see here in the congregation. And uh, everyone, if there, I know there's many connected because we can't all fit in the church this morning. And maybe downstairs, I want to greet you. God bless you. Um, it's a real privilege to be in the house of God where people are comfortable to lift their hands and to sing his praises. And uh, we um, thank you, musicians. Um, everyone has their own way, Brother Ed said, and I've been, been getting trained at work that um, today, in this day and age, as we take our Bibles, we'll read from Esther 3, that, um, you know, so many mobile phones are being in the hands of the people now, and 60% of them have Facebook and Facebook thrives on engagement, and so they really emphasize the videos on, on Facebook. They prioritize them, and so the training that I've had is that you've got three seconds to catch somebody's attention, and if you don't get their attention in the three seconds, they're just flicked past you. So this morning, I want to speak on uh, tormented devils and that there is prophecy in the Word of God that says there's coming a time when the tables will flip and the devil who was a tormentor becomes a tormented one. Uh, but I need more than three seconds. <laughs> so I trust you. I have, I have my own way, so I trust you'll just have grace with me this morning. And... Um, We'd like to start off reading one of those prophecies. I think one of the sweetest ones is in the book of Esther. So we'd like to start at um, the third chapter. And we'll read several verses. But if you can just be patient. We'll, we'll start at verse 1, but let's also pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, just wanting to seek your face afresh this morning as the songs and even the words and the prayers that were offered just were such a help, dear God. Even to me natural and my natural ears, how much more would they intercede and give uh, welcome to the Spirit of God in the, in the unseen realm, as our brother said, that, that exists, that's more real than what we see here amongst us. For, Lord, we have this confidence that the Word of God says, the things which are seen were made by things which do not appear. And so, Father, we believe that there is a Holy Spirit that wants to overshadow this service. We believe that you are a great ministering high priest who is touched by the feeling of our infirmities and Lord, wanting to put strength in our, into our lives, wanting to put the Spirit of God that, oh God, there would be uh, an overcomer on the inside, that there would be an intercessor on the inside, oh God, that there would be something that would answer to the deep call that's within this morning. And we pray, Father, that, that just that spirit would be at liberty to move afresh as you know this address very well. You know believing hearts that are represented here very well. 
And whether they be at their homes or whether they be part of this service here this morning, I pray that the, the Holy Ghost would just overshadow and it would be we are one, O oh God. And there would be no diminishment of atmosphere wherever the mothers with children might be or wherever the homebound might be, O oh God. But there would be just a, a presence of the angels of God that would minister to your people afresh this morning, O oh God. And Lord, like an Elijah who was ministered to and was strengthened so that he could, he could live off of the unseen for uh, a period of time in his life, Lord, we pray that the ministration of the unseen would be present here this morning. Dear God, we ask these mercies and we, we look to you for guidance and for help, for direction in the, in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So now we start on this prophecy that's um, part of this uh, time that the, is contained in the scripture where the devil would become the tormented one. But this is some background here, and it starts in verse 1. And after these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and sat his seat above all the princes that were with him. So Haman here become the second to Ahasuerus in the whole kingdom. Second most powerful. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence and then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass, when they spake daily unto him, which was Mordecai, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman, to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. And so he becomes angry at this Mordecai one, and he's the second most powerful one in the kingdom. In the first day, oh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 6, and he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. In the first month, that is the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pure, that is the lot, before Haman from day to day and from month to month to the twelfth month, that is the month Adar. And Haman said unto king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws, therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed." And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it unto the king's treasuries. 
And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. And then were the king's scribes called in on the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenant and to the governors that were over every province and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof and to every people after their language in the name of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. I won't keep you standing much longer, but please, if we just read a few more verses. I want to read down to the fourth verse of chapter 4. Um, and the letters were sent by posts under the king's province to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. The copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people that they should be ready against that day. The posts went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Shushan was perplexed. And when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes. And went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. And came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlain came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent Raymond to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. And we'll stop there. Thank you for standing. Please take your seats. <clears throat> so I believe that this is a prophecy, but before we get into the prophecy, I'd like to just bring the background quickly is that Brother Branham brought out certain things from this book in the message in, um, that this, this character, Esther, she was selected as a queen to Ahasuerus after the first queen, Vashti, had been put away. And the queen Vashti was put away because she was called to a feast, a great celebration uh, of a Hazarus in this kingdom, and she refused to come to the feast. And she was called to be there to display her beauty and to help give honor to the kingdom, and she had her own affairs that she was uh, said was more of a priority than coming at the king's appointed time and to, to meet the king's will. And so it was the counsel of those that were part of the kingdom. They counseled Ahasuerus in the, in the book, in the first two or three chapters there, to put Vashti away and let another more honorable be chosen 
to, for the honor of the kingdom. And this was not just a historical record of a historical kingdom, and it's not just a love story between Ahasuerus and um, uh, Esther that I involved after Vashti was put away, because there was none found amongst all the provinces as fair as Esther. And so God uh, uh, allowed this scripture to, to be contained in there because there was going to come a time when there would be a, uh, a call to a Pentecostal feast that would be free from denomination, that would be free from man's ideas, and God was going to call his people to a great jubilee and, there, and that time has come and gone already. And there was a, a people that were, uh, had a Pentecostal blessing, but they mixed it with man's ideas and denominational creeds, and they refused to go on with the messenger that was calling them to a great feast with the king, even to a wedding supper. And so he was preparing a people to come to a wedding supper, but there was a, a Pentecostal movement before my time, but uh, you know, you, you read about it, you're aware of it, that that Pentecostal movement refused to go to a, a, a a, the Word of God, further in the Word of God, free from man's ideas, free from worldly influences, they chose rather the popular consensus way of man. And when they did that, God put away that movement, and it never went any further. And he began to call out a many-membered bride through, a, through a, a messenger that had a message to prepare a people for a rapture. And that's why we're gathered here this morning as we have heard a, a, a call from a, from a messenger to prepare the way before the Lord to, to bring our faith back to the original faith of the Pentecostal fathers who were part of a great Pentecostal feast. And there was, uh, and so we, we were privileged to be uh, identified in Esther here that Esther was found to be pure of man's influence pure of man's ideas, but the reason why she found such favor with Ahasuerus in that book of Esther was because she only put on the adornment of what was pleasing to the king. And I believe that is what the Christian's desire is, is to be free from what's popular just for popularity's sake, free from pressures of the world just for pressure's sake, but to hold to the Word of God above every other influence, every other idea, and, and, to, and to serve God wholly with all of our hearts. And that's what God sees in this bride, is that she's a pure bride, just in love with Him more than anything else in this world. And that's why he loved Esther in the book, because Esther just loved what the king loved more than anything else. And so it, it just sparked that flame to burn brighter than any other option. And, and we are identified in that now. It's not just historical. It's not just a, a beautiful poetry. But we are actually the fulfillment of that prophecy that was also written in the book of Esther. God foreseen there would come a time where there would be a bride that would gather together from, from all the earth and, and even those that sleep would not be hindered, but they would be caught to meet the Lord in the air to, to go and meet him in a wedding supper. Yeah. 
And we're identified in that this morning. And so as the prophecy shows that there would be a calling of a bride, there's also a part that there was this enemy that rose up that began to be a sworn enemy to all that was Esther's people. He hated the very thought of anything of those people remaining on the earth. When he saw the stand of this Mordecai, and, uh, uh, you know, you could maybe don't, uh, maybe there's deeper ways to bring this out, but I'm going to, uh, maybe more precise ways to bring this out, but I'm going to liken Mordecai this morning. If there's a prophecy there that Esther is being fulfilled right now, and there is an Ahasuerus that m- matches our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the supreme deity, that's, that's what es- Ahasuerus represents in this book. And, and so Esther represents his, his beloved bride, and Haman, of course, represents the devil. And the devil, uh, in, in this book, it shows that he was risen up to be the second most powerful. And when he rose up to that position, he absolutely developed a hatred for Mordecai and then all that was represented in Mordecai's people. And the reason why he hated Mordecai is Mordecai had a revelation of who he was. And Mordecai stood on the word of God that said who he was and how he ought to live. And, and, and Haman hated that. And, 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 I, there might, and I'll say, hey, and Mordecai in one sense of the word, if you just be patient with me, I'm going to liken him to, to God's servants today, God's ministers, reminding a bride of who she is. Because that was Mordecai's position in the scripture, is that he reminded Esther of who she was and why she was put on earth and what that relationship with Ahasuerus could mean. And that's what we hear in the word of God, is that we are uh, privileged to be recipients of every redemptive blessing in the word of God, that, that those blessings have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and they are here to be freely received by those that would come according to his provided way. And Haman hated that. He hated that somebody knew where they stood, that somebody would stand for what was right, and he was sworn to destroy it. And you know, he called him a Jew. It's almost as bad as calling somebody a preacher in this day and hour. It has about as much meaning in the world, right? Back then, a Jew was kind of a nasty word. Now, preacher, even believer, well, what does that mean? You know, nobody really has much respect for that. So it's become almost a byword again. Uh, uh, I'm a believer. That, that people don't really, you know, appreciate what that, that testimony of one who lives and tries to do what's right and tries to stand for the things that are honest and for the things that are for, for the good and, 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 and live clean. Not, not a lot of respect for that in this, in this uh, kingdom, which is really it was prophesied in the book of Esther amongst many other places because when Haman saw that, that Mordecai knew where he stood and Mordecai wouldn't bend to Haman's ideas and wouldn't bow down to Haman's ideas, he began to 
declare there was coming a day when everything that the Jews had and all the Jews were would be destroyed. And, and he, was, he gave it a certain day, and between the time that was announced and the time that it was to be executed, you know, the, the Jews in that historical book of Esther, they were under tremendous pressure. Because one day, very soon, they would look like they were going to lose it all. One day, very soon, it looked like there would be no future. Their children wouldn't have a future. Their labors would come to nothing. Their, their, their righteous stand would mean nothing. Everything that they'd done for the good, everything that they'd done to be right, it would all be taken away. And so it looked like there was a tremendous pressure being built up. And we're, we're really living in that kind of a pressure today when those that pray for the, for the, the do nothing but, but good in their service for God and that pray for the right things and pray for, for the law to be upheld and, and for the, you know, for the things that are right to be done. The respect for that is being pulled away and pulled away, and, and it's, it's really just become a self-serving type of an environment. As much as you can skim out of it, as much as you can get out of it without getting caught, that's, that's very much the way so many systems today uh, 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 operate, and that's how Haman was going to operate. He's like, look, I can make this whole thing prosper. I can make the whole kingdom prosper if I can just get rid of these enemies to the kingdom. So, in Haman, it was all about economics. And we're back in a day when so much is being dictated by economics. They closed the parks under the pandemic because they don't want to have a lawsuit. They don't want to suffer the, law and, uh, the, the economics of the, of the court case. And they do this and do that because it's, it's really it's about economics. We don't want to flood the medical system because we can't afford the economics around it. And we, we can't afford the, the legal defense around it. It's really not what's best about for the people. It's about how do we protect the assets that we have. And that's what Haman turned the whole conversation into to the kingdom. He says, I'll make the kingdom prosper if I can just get rid of these people. And so his idea, when he was completed, he was sure there would be nobody around that would talk like them anymore. Nobody that would be... Uh, listening to the same music they would be listening to. Nobody that uh, would live clean like they, they lived. And after that, you know, after he got rid of those people, he could mix them all up into whatever he wanted because he'd gotten rid of Mordecai, the one that was standing against his ideas of the way the kingdom ought to be conducted. Now, Brother Branham said, the doctors call uh, sickness names, cancer, cataract, or so forth like that. Jesus called them a devil. And that's what they are. And anyone knows a devil means a tormentor. And so from the sense that Haman represents the devil... Haman was not just a, a name, but he was also wanting to inflict 
torment at that time. He was trying to paint a picture. There's coming a day, very soon, such and such a day, you'll lose it all. Such and such a day, everything will be for nothing. And everybody up before that time that was against the Jews, anybody that had ever felt any slight, any, any uh, loss or any uh, jealousy against the Jews in that day, no doubt before that day, they would just pour it on the, Esther's people. And, and by that I mean, you know, they'd say, you're going to lose it all one day. You mean nothing around here. And all the innuendo and all the hurtful things they could say, knowing that there was coming a time when they would be all destroyed, so they had nothing to fear. They built up a whole atmosphere of torment in the book of Esther. Can you, can you go with me on that? And torment, as I'm saying, that's also a prophecy. So just think of these things when they, when they say what torment means. It means to test. A torment is a test. So when the brother Branham said a devil is a tormentor, God has allowed it to prove who's passing the test. God has allowed those that are faithful, that have the goods, to be tested. A tormentor, by definition, a torment is also to question by applying torture. So the devil's way of, of being a tormentor is to introduce questions. It's one of his specialties. I wonder if I'm going to get the promise. I wonder if I've done something that hinders what God's doing. I wonder if, if there's something wrong. I, I wonder if, if, if what I've heard is true and it's not the word of God. And the, the devil loves to raise questions as a form of torment. That is what a torment is, is to raise questions and apply torture in those questions. It is also to torture. Now, I'm sure we've got a pretty good idea what torture is, even if we haven't experienced it. It's, it's not very pleasant. It's, it's, it's cruel. And it's also to torment is to vex with grievous pain, to be harassed or distressed. So Haman, now, he, he introduced all of those things that were in the book of Esther. He introduced all of them, and they all, the people became distressed. The people became tested that were the Jews. The people became vexed. They, the questions began to arise. What are we doing serving God? Where are we going with this? Because it looked like it was going nowhere. That was Haman's role in this book. And that, that, I can liken that today is that the devil loves to raise questions through reasoning and through other, other senses that are contrary to the word of God. He loves to raise things that are difficult to go through. Maybe we bear the loss of something or the loss of someone and, and we, we suffer through that and in that or we, we, we lack something and the devil loves to introduce 
pressure under those situations. He loves to introduce the, the, the suffering and the, and the discomfort through it all. And so, once again, it's being fulfilled in our day. And we've got these, you know, the, the, the Bible says that um, this, was, this was Haman, but I'm saying that that is a prophecy of a, a spiritual unfolding in our day. It's, it's not seen with human eyes, but yet these things are being fulfilled once again. The, what I mean is there's not a physical Haman to look at, and there's not a, a physical uh, people that are identified Jews in this day, but there are, there's a spiritual devils that are looking for those that are real believers, seeing if they can apply some form of torment into their life. And the devil, and the Bible does say in the book of Revelation that the devil and them that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the other prophet are, and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So the Bible gives us an assurance that one day that tormentor, the table is going to turn, this, the thing is going to flip, and the devil is going to be tormented forever and forever. The one that, that caused the breakup of homes, the one that caused distress in the family, the one that caused trouble at work, the one that caused to question salvation, that caused to question God's goodness, he is going to be cast into the lake of fire to be tormented forever and ever. We have that assurance that one day the enemy will be put down. But what I'd like to introduce to you this morning is that there's a window of time in the scripture that it also says before that day comes that, that, that there is a, a, a promise that he is tormented even before he's cast into the lake of fire. Because, and it's possible because when the devils met Jesus on the shores of Gadaria and the devils came to him and, they, and, they, and Jesus just walked onto the shores. He hadn't preached a sermon. He, he hadn't cast out anything. But the devils came up to him in the form of legion. And, and Jesus says, uh, what is thy name? And, and they said, we are legion for we are many. And they said to him, have you come to torment us, to torment us before our time. So even the devils know that there's coming a time when their torment is, is really settled. There's coming a time when the devil is completely put down. But they also know that before that time comes, it's possible that they could be tormented even before they're cast into the lake of fire. And they were shaking in the presence of Jesus. They were nervous in the presence of that word made flesh. Because they wondered, are we here now? And Jesus didn't, didn't, didn't humor them because he knew he wasn't at the time of the fulfillment of all this scripture. So all he did at that point is he said, go, and they were cast out of legion, and they no longer could torment legion. The legion went free, and they went to torment others. 
But even the devils declared it was possible to be tormented before their time. And so now we have this prophecy in, in Esther where it, Esther represents the bride. And there's an Ahasuerus that represents our Lord and Savior who's supreme. And Haman, the second, is doing a great job to fulfill the part of the devil in our day. And if you know the book of Esther, there, there came a time when Haman, who had devised all of these forms of torment, had, had, had planned all of these schemes to destroy all that was Mordecai's, there came a time when Haman became the one who was shook. There came a time when Haman became the one who was tormented. The tables turned and Esther and Mordecai, who had been so, so concerned and so burdened with what her people were going through, they became the ones who were at rest and Haman became the one who was shaking. And, and I don't believe that is when the, when, when the devil is cast into the lake of fire because the prophecy in the book of Esther says that, that Haman and the king were invited right to a feast. And it was just Haman and Ahasuerus and Esther there, and they were there face to face. And they were sitting and dining there at, at Esther's banquet. Uh, it, was a great, it was a great banquet that they, she was just shut in with Ahasuerus and Haman. And, and so I don't plan on being face to face in the lake of fire. There's no Bible that says we have to be face to face with the devil in the lake of fire. So when this prophecy that Haman became shaken, he became shaken at the time of the feast, Esther was very much present at that time of the feast. So, so here, and I might be jumping around a bit, you can go back and you can read it in the, in the book of Esther if it's, if it's not familiar to you, but... But here, Haman is representing the devil. He became exposed that he was Mordecai's enemy. He was even Esther's enemy. And in the midst of that feast, he became the one that was shaken. Now, I can say in this gathering this morning, the Lord has promised to be here. Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. And the bride has promised to be here. We're shut in with God. But there's another one who wasn't invited. He's come also. The devil is here. We might not recognize where he's at, but he's watching. He's listening. He's present. So there's a feast happening once again. But if there's a bride that is recognizing who her enemy is and who she is in authority... There's a time where this Haman is being tortured once again. That the one who has been our tormentor has no longer got a right to bother us with the things he once bothered us. Yes. The troubles that we had in our homes. The pressures that we had at work. The things that we wondered when we were growing up. The way people treated us. They were maybe bothering us. They were tormenting us. But there come a time when we recognize they don't have to bother us anymore. No, sir. They don't have to bother us anymore. 
the atmosphere might be out there that they want to put pour on the pressure. They might still say the same things. The same trouble may still arise, but it doesn't have to bother us in here. No, no, it doesn't. The presence of God can be so real in here that those things that once troubled us, trouble us no more. It doesn't, have to, it doesn't have to shake us anymore. It doesn't have to get us down anymore. We can be frail in our body, and the devil is saying, Oh, I got him. I got him. I got him miserable. I got him wondering. I got him. I got a pressure. Look at everybody. Look at him. They're not healed. But the devil, the devil wants to do that pressure on the outside, but the Spirit of God can be so present on the inside. Say, Oh, I'm his, and he is mine. I'm his, and he is mine. In the presence of the love divine. I'll not worry what man will do to me. I'll not worry what they'll say to me. I know who I am. I know the grace of God that's met me in my life. I know I'm free in Jesus Christ. They might not understand me. They might, they might have their questions, their taunts. But I know who loves me. Oh, Jesus. Jesus has called us into the love divine. Jesus has unveiled himself like a hazardous into unveiled himself to Esther so that she could be free. Brother, sister, God wants his people to be happy and free. In the things that are to be message, Brother Branham says, God wants his people to be happy and free and perfect. So our perfection is even in our freedom. Our perfection is even in our happiness. And this tormentor who maybe want to, to raise up circumstance and raise up pressures and raise up questions, I say he doesn't have a right to torment us anymore because the promise says, the prophecy says, the tables have turned. The tables have turned. And, and we have received a message that has told us who we really are. We have received a message that told us what God really thinks of us. And our rights in Jesus Christ. Ahasuerus says, who is this that would dare do such to my Esther? And let's be reminded, if we, if we have things that come into our life and they get us upset or, or things that, that happen and, we, and, we, and get us discouraged or, or, or you know, a family trouble that keeps coming around and keep coming around, that's a tormentor. But God has given us authority to say, you don't have to bother me anymore. You don't have a right here. So it all kind of unfolded. You know, I just, just back up a bit because Haman saw Mordecai wouldn't bow. He was called to a feast. And when he left that feast, Mordecai wouldn't bow. And it just drove him up the wall. And he schemed and he planned. How can I make it miserable for this guy? And at home, they all kind of got together. 
just like a pack of wolves. And they said, ooh, gallows, make gallows, make it high, make them really embarrassed to go up on those gallows. Everybody will see him. Everybody will know that he's weaker than you. He's a little guy. And everybody will laugh at him for making fun of you and, and just put him on gallows. He says, ooh, I like the gallows. So he said, let it be done. So they commanded the gallows to be built. But meanwhile, Ahasuerus was called to, to leave the feast and was called to be at home. And the next day would be another feast with Esther and this Haman. And in the midst of the night, he couldn't sleep. And so the story says, uh, the, the Bible, it's not a story, it's a prophecy. And so the prophecy says that the, uh, the Ahasuerus, the king, said, well, let the book of the law be, be read. And, and it was read in there that Mordecai had done something righteous for the kingdom. And he had even spared the life of Ahasuerus. He'd helped keep the life of Ahasuerus alive. Hallelujah. We're here to keep the Holy Spirit, the life of the King of Kings, alive. We're here to see that that life is preserved. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't need to add drama. We don't need to add something artificial into it. We just need to preserve the original life. Because the original life has the original seed as the original life. And that's what we want to see alive. And Hazarus says, I like that kind of faith. I like that kind of testimony. And he asks, has anything ever been done for this Mordecai? And they said, no. Nothing has ever been done. So Hazarus is kind of, in the, in the prophecy, he's just a natural king, so he can't sleep and he's He's thinking about what the next step is, the next step. And Haman, he's there to have a little planning meeting with the king. And so Haman comes in. And Ahasuerus is asking himself, what do I do with this one who's keeping the life of the king alive? And so he comes to Haman, and, and he says, Haman, what should be done to the one whom the king delights in? And the Bible says that Haman thought, hmm, I'm the second around here. There's probably nobody the king delights more than me. So Haman got a little, <clears throat> yeah. I tell you what, he got a little bit thinking, I'm going to really pour this on because I, I want people to know how great I am around here. He wanted people to listen to his music and dress his way and, and think like he did and act like he, he wants them to act. So he says, tell you what, so that my influence be raised even more, let the one whom the king delights in let him be put in royal apparel. Let the royal robe be put upon him and the royal 
crown be put upon him, and let him be on the king's royal steed, and let it be declared around the palace and around the kingdom, or, or, or the palace, rather, thus it shall be done to him whom the king delighteth in. Because Haman wanted to show how powerful his influence was, how, how weak it was to try and defy him. And, and, and why everybody ought to just follow his line of thinking and follow his, his way. It was the popular way. And so Haman says, I'm really going to, now that I got the upper hand, I'm really going to put the pressure on. And the king says, that, I like that. I like that. He says, let it be done at once. Let it be done to Mordecai. Mordecai was Haman's worst enemy. And Haman's sitting there. Mordecai? You want me to lead my enemy around with the royal robe and the royal king? The royal crown on the king's royal steed and say, Thus it shall be done to him who the king delighteth. Thus it shall be done unto him whom the king delighteth. I mean, Haman was having a really bad start to his day. He started off good. But when he got news from the throne, the news from the throne was terrible. Oh, brother, sister, the news from the throne is terrible against our enemy. And Haman had to have a, a full, and I imagine everyone that knew Mordecai was Haman's enemy. They opened their shop door and they looked out the window. And they listened twice. And then they maybe close the door and say, I don't know what to say about this. This isn't politically correct. <laughs> and Haman was, thus it shall be done to him whom the king delighteth. Thus it shall be done. Mordecai knew the God he was serving. Mordecai knew God was more than able to take care of this problem. Mordecai knew that no matter how great this enemy is and how much a sworn enemy he is, he's no match for my God. And so Haman no sooner finished marching around the kingdom, everybody wondering what on earth is going on, he had to bear the look of all that because of overcomer was living his testimony. It had humiliated him. He thought he had the upper hand, but somebody was living a life. And he couldn't stop it. They were living a life, and he couldn't shake them. He couldn't break them. He couldn't knock them down. And they stayed down. They kept getting up. So he just finished marching this guy around the whole kingdom. And the message comes in, come at once. You've been called to the feast. So Haman comes in. Whew, guess I got that done with. 
And he sits down, just him and Ahasuerus and Esther. They're having a nice feast, and he's forgetting about the bad day. He's forgetting about the pressure. And Esther's hearing a message, ask. Just believe and ask. Esther's hearing a message, only believe. All things are possible, so to speak, at that banquet. That's the second night. And Esther says, well, if I had been just sold for bondage, I'd kept my peace. But I and my people are scheduled to be destroyed. And the king says, who would dare destroy your people? And Haman's just taking a big bite of filet mignon. <laughs> He's saying, mmm, this is so good. He's just about to drink his glass of wine. And Esther says, it's this wicked enemy, Haman. And he's got to try and swallow that, and he has to put down the wine. No more party time for Haman. His day just got way worse. The king rises up, letting time linger for a season. Where Esther is living her life and Haman is shaking because it's been exposed. It's been exposed what his scheme is. And this is such a blessing to me, brother, sister. Because if you can see God's thoughts towards you and I. God was not expecting Esther to recite where she stood. God was not expecting Esther to know the scripture. That's not the prophecy in the book of Esther. Esther did not speak any doctrine to the king. What moved, what moved King Ahasuerus in Esther was her life. Her righteous life made the difference and got Haman shaking. She barely said anything, this is my enemy. That's all she said. And that exposing of who her enemy really was, was all Esther needed to have in her life. And her godly life was, was more than enough to raise the wrath of the king. And to turn the tables so that Haman became the tormented one and Mordecai and Esther became the free ones. And Esther did not have to, she didn't have to pray a certain prayer. She did not have to have a certain uh, sacrifice or a certain uh, reach, a spiritual realm and to do some, some great spiritual accomplishment. God gave a witness in the, as a prophecy in that book. Her life spoke all that she needed, it needed to speak. 
And I believe that's an exact fulfillment in our day is God is not looking for us to be able to preach a sermon, for us to expound the doctrine, for us to, to have some kind of uh, marked life that has some sort of spiritual, uh, you know, super spiritual quality. But God is just looking for those that believe and live what they believe. That's a prophecy says God is satisfied with those that live what they believe. That's what makes the devils tremble. And Haman even tried to get right on Esther's bed. Yes, he tries even to torment us right in our most private, our most solitary times. But if you recognize your place in this scripture, it doesn't matter how much he tries to force himself. It doesn't matter where he tries to, to hide himself. The enemy's scheme has been exposed. And the devil does not have a right to torment us, whether it be in our bedroom, whether it be in our, our private affairs, whether it be in public. The devil does not have a right to torment our soul and our spirit. In Christ, we are free. Now, you know, there's been others that try to say, well, this and this is the fulfillment of prophecy, and this and this is the fulfillment of prophecy. And if you, if you get excited and you get ahead of God, you can, you can make some wrong assumptions and put the Word of God in the wrong spot. So, uh, you know, that they tried to do that. Even Holy Ghost-filled believers tried to do that in the book of Acts. They knew that there ought to be 12 because the Bible number was 12 and there was prophecy about 12. So when they lost Judas Iscariot to transgress, they said, well, we, we were 11 now, we need 12. So they went out and they tried to fulfill the prophecy on their own. And when they tried to fulfill it, they, they, you know, they cast lots, they did the best they could, and they tried, and they got a Matthias, but Matthias was not God's mind. God had a way of fulfilling who would be the 12th, and that was Paul. And so, you know, here's a brother standing here saying, well, here's a fulfillment of prophecy. There'll come a time. How it is, you know, it's up to God to see the fulfillment of this. But if God does the fulfillment of it, let me say, God will fulfill it according to his word. And if God fulfills it according to his word, the way he has fulfilled his word in the past is the way he will fulfill it today. And so we see uh, in the book of uh, 1 Samuel, when God had an enemy rise up against Israel, and Israel had to go to battle against that enemy, that enemy was the Philistines. And if you know the place in Bible history, the Philistines loved to torment Israel. They loved to put the pressure on them when Israel was down. They loved to come and take what Israel had. They were a perfect match for what would be a spiritual tormentor in our day. But when Israel came to fight this, this enemy, and they were young, and they were inexperienced in battle, God came, and the Bible says, he thundered upon them. And when he thundered, it made the enemy so nervous because it was an identification that God was with his people and they were trying to fight as, people, as just themselves. And they did not have a God or they did not have a power that would match this God. 
And so the Bible says he, he made them nervous. He made them uncomfortable by his thunder. When David gave his testimonies and he described how God had fought his battles for him, he described that God came down in different places. Um, I, can, I can quote them for you, but it's in, in David's testimony. He says, God came down and he thundered. And so when God showed he was in David's life, it, David wrote of it under inspiration that God was thundering against his enemy. When, when Samuel had to declare to, to the people that uh, it was not God's mind to have a king, but they were determined to have a king anyways, the, God said, protest unto them and do it solemnly. And then when Samuel was finished protesting, the Bible says... That God brought a thunder. And it was a testimony that God was separating that which was holy to that which was unholy. I want, to, I want to share with you this morning that if God is going to make his enemy tormented, if God is going to make his enemy nervous, the way he did it in the Old Testament was to send a thunder. When Israel was being called out of Egypt, and, they, and they, Moses had to go up to Pharaoh and had to withstand Pharaoh and, and, and call for plagues to shake up the kingdom. And one of the plagues that he called was hail. And the hail was coming, and it was destroying the crops. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh declared this was Israel's enemy, Right? And they were, they were oppressing Israel, right? And when God rose a Moses to deliver his people, he made Pharaoh declare, stop the thunder, stop the rain, stop the hail. It's destroying us. It was separating the holy from the unholy. It was making Pharaoh, Israel's enemy, uncomfortable. So the Old Testament shows over and over when Job was being declared, and we'll look at Job uh, as one who, who saw the tables turn very soon. But when God came down as a whirlwind to Job, and he declared to him that this is the mind of God you've gone through, Job, that I've done this at my will, that I've done something that you did not understand, Job, he began to declare to him, can you thunder against the enemy like I can? And, and God was trying to declare to Job I've done this to make the enemy tormented. And we'll look at that. But all through the Bible, he did it to Pharaoh. He did it to the Philistines. He did it to David's enemies. He, he did it uh, uh, to, to, to God's enemy and Job's enemy in the book of Job. So if God is going to torture and torment his enemy, he's going to do it with a thunder. The Christian is going to hear the voice of God. But the enemy is going to hear God's in those people, and he's not with me. And it's going to create a spiritual disturbance. It's thunders that are going to gather the people of God together, but to the enemy, it's actually going to torment them. That's what the Bible Old Testament shows over and over. So when the first seal was opened and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, 
You know what God's trying to say? God's trying to say, brother, sister, when these seals are opened, the tables are turning. The season is changing. He which troubled the church is going to trouble him no more. When this book is becoming open, and it was a sound of thunder breaking, it is God speaking to his elect. And it's God speaking to the devil. You're going to have a really hard time from here on out. I'm going to send anointed ministers who are going to raise up believers from the dust and from the dirt and from the four corners. And they're going to rise in the glory of God under the blood of Jesus Christ. And they're going to serve me faithfully with a consecrated, spirit-filled life. You're going to hate it. So when a mighty angel descended, boom, 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 boom. Seven thunders uttered their voices. A book is open. God has got a message for his people. And he's got a message for spiritual Haman. You're going to hate this. There's a church that's going to come together under the love of God and is going to be a representation of the word made flesh in this day. And no man-made idea, no, no denominational influence, no popular opinion is going to shake her from who she is in Jesus Christ. No up or down, in or out, many or few, it's not going to matter. She got a revelation of who called her and what her walk is. If God is going to torment the enemy in the Old Testament, he did it with thunder. So if God sends thunder in our day through the opening of the seven seals, it's got to have the same meaning. It's got to mean the tables have turned. We're at the fulfillment of the time of Haman, spiritual Haman, having a very bad day. He's been exposed. He's having to acknowledge, thus it shall be done. Thus it shall be done to him whom the king delighteth. Because there's believers that have the Holy Ghost. And there's no devil in hell that can stop them. And even hell has to give witness. It's going to be done to him whom the king delights. They'll raise their family in the nurture and admonition of God. They'll bring the, the, the truth of the word of God to every situation. They'll bring the love of Jesus Christ prayerfully, sweetly, and they'll see the spirit of God move. Thus it shall be done to him whom the king delighteth. Brother Branham said in the Christ is the mystery of God revealed, he said it at least three times, I think four times, the devil is howling. It's Haman going back after a terrible day, back with his family after, after uh, seeing, leading Mordecai around and, and, and howling. Oh, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. You wouldn't believe what happened. 
He said, the devil is howling because his scheme has been uncovered. He was sent to test you and I. He was sent to, to, to prove you and I. But his scheme has been uncovered. He who came to test us and bring us down can bring us low no more. Amen. Holy Ghost will make a way. Amen. Some through the fire, some through the flood. But all through the blood. The devils hate it. But believers love it. The devils are howling. Here's Brother Branham, uh, not just saying it in Christ, the mystery of God revealed. He's saying it. Um, in, uh, in Joshua, the great warrior Joshua, he's saying, this body is yours. God gave it to you. It's your dwelling place. God wanted you to have it. But the devil has moved in. Cancer, tuberculosis, disease. And you say, I'll take them out. I'll do this. I'll do that. But you know what? Something's happened. That pillar of fire has come among us, that captain of the host of the Lord. And every devil that's got the people bound tonight is scared to death. Here's a prophet looking into the unseen realm that have been mentioned this morning. And when he sees the unseen realm, he sees, I see devils that are scared. I see devils that are scared to death. Sure they are. They're fainting. Why did the Philistines and so forth faint? Why did Jericho faint? Because the people that had the promise were on the road to come in. Just keep walking forward, brother, sister. That life is all that God is looking for. Just faith to believe and to live what you believe. Keep walking forward, the prophet said. Keep staying on the road. And the prophet goes on. They're scared. Satan's trembling. He's trembling tonight. His heart's about gone. It's melted in him. Why? Oh, he, you, the dog, his heart's melted. He's wailed it. He may have walled it out of sight of the doctor, but he can't wall it out of the sight of God. He's a big bluff. The devil's scared just about gone, just about ready to faint. That is exactly what we see in Haman's testimony. This prophecy must be fulfilled. Amen. If you turn with me to Revelation 4, we have this Scripture here, once again, speaking of thundering, we'll start at verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard as, was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. 
And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So what's a thunder? It's a torment to the devil. It's a voice to God's elect. It's declaring a spiritual disturbance is happening. It's declaring that somebody's coming into their rightful position. That the devil is losing ground. And in this thundering and lightnings, notice it came from the midst of the throne. Why did it come from the midst of the throne? Because he that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. So the overcomer is where the thunderings were coming from. Where the, thun- where the overcomer was is where John saw the lightnings coming from and the thundering coming from. So what God was writing in Revelation as prophecy is being lived out today. The overcoming life is a thunder against the enemy. It is a light flash against the enemy. It is sent to torment the devil. It came, not all the spectacular things that he was seeing in heaven, but God wanted him to see, watch where the thunder's coming from. It's not coming from the living creatures. It's not coming from those who cry, holy, 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 day and night uh, in his train. That's not where the thunder is coming from. It's not coming from the four and twenty elders. It's coming from the midst of the throne. The only one that's in the midst of the throne is he that overcometh. Will I grant to sit with me in my throne? And so under inspiration now, Brother Branham in Revelation chapter 4, he said, all right, here was voices. Oh, how we need in Jeffersonville thousands of live voices. The thunder. What's thunder? A torment in the Bible to God's enemy, a separation. And Brother Branham is saying, a lived voice is a thunder. It's a torment. It's a separation. Thundering out in sweetness and holiness and purity and undefiled lives, walking around in the earth today without a blemish. Yes, sir. Real Christians, that's Thunder against the enemy. Aren't you glad to be part of God's fireworks? Aren't you glad to be part of God's 4th of July freedom celebration? God is setting off fireworks. He's setting off young people, getting the Holy Ghost. It's, ex- it's like, a, it's like a, a Roman candle. This one gets saved, and then that one gets saved. This one gets on fire, and then that one does something for God. And God is sending out a thunder against the enemy. It's a freedom hour. It's a celebration hour. Glory. Just like Jesus' own life when he walked on the shores of Gadaria made the devils wonder, is this going to be our time? Let's not leave any question 
unanswered to that one. When the devil tries to get us down, tries to raise some of our failures or tries to raise some of our problems, let's remind him of what his place is. Your prophecy, your portion, you're the tormented one. I'm the free one. It doesn't matter what I see on the outside. That doesn't declare the word of God. This declares the word of God. And the word of God says I'm free. That's thunder against the enemy. A real Christian life. So I said I would get to Job. And Job is jumping around, but you know, Esther, (laughs) well, like one brother reminded me, you forgot one of the best parts one time when I spoke this. You forgot to say that when Haman was hiding on the bed, news broke forth right there in the palace, the gallows are ready. And Haman, that was supposed to be his big celebration. But the king Ahasuerus declared, let the gallows that Haman prepared be used against him. And it was Haman who was marched up in front of all the people. It was Haman who was humiliated. It was Haman who was showed his power was falling. It was Haman who lost his influence. And all that Haman was was destroyed. And Esther didn't have to say a word because it was a prophecy it was a, a prophecy that was going to be fulfilled of a bride of Jesus Christ that was going to see the power of this enemy be broken in this hour. And the gallows, whatever, whatever kind of test he wants to run our way. When Brother Branham saw a great serpent by vision. He said, as a mamba. Oh, as a worst snake. Most poisonous or deadly. Just, just a fearful thing. Mamba. And when the mamba came to him, it wanted him to jump. It wanted him to dance. It wanted him to run. But there was a life in that servant of God. The one who was supposed to be tormented wasn't tormented. And the one who was supposed to be making him jump and making him dance and making him run, he just, he just couldn't get it done. He was trying, but he couldn't get it. Trying to get him, but he couldn't get there. He was getting bothered. And then the spirit of the Lord, the angel of the Lord speaks to him and says, you've been given power to bind him, the worst, or any. He says, Satan, that I, or he says words like, that I might know, Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ. And you know what happened in the vision? The tail of the snake wrapped up around his head and tied a knot. <laughs> the gallows that Haman made for Mordecai's humiliation turned against Haman. And the serpent who came to to torment and to torture in the vision, he became 
the tormented one. You know, there's no pain like self-inflicted pain. It's one thing to say I was in an accident. It's the other thing to say, well, I, I stepped on the rake and it hit me in the forehead. You know, you don't want to admit that. And here's Satan. Yeah, I had my own tail. and It's stuck around my neck. His own tails, brother, sister. His own lies that he's wanting to bring to our, to our eyes and to our thoughts and to our ideas. Those are the very things. They lost their power. God knows there'll be those that, know, that get a hold by revelation in who they are in Jesus Christ. And the power of the serpent is bound. Him, the worst, or any. Whether we go through things we understand or we don't understand. Whether we go through things that we never, never know, we don't know the answers to. But we've been given the power to bind him, the worst, or any. His own tail is what exposes him for the weakness that he is. Glory to God. And so then I want to just bring you to Job because Satan and God once had a discussion and Satan was sure, oh, I'll make him squeal. I'll make him curse. I can make that boy swear. I'll make him depressed. I'll make him fight in his family. I'll make him sick and low. I'll turn his friends against him. You know, Satan had all these ideas of how he was going to just pour it on Job. And God just sat like, you can have him, but you can't do it. And Satan tried this. And he tried that. And he tried another. And he, you know, he rose up so many obstacles. And Job just sat there. Longing to have a counsel with God. And there came a time in the trial of Job that God comes down and appears to Job in a whirlwind. And I'm going to go through this quickly. But just watch the thoughts of God here. Because God is coming to Job to declare to him, Job, your life has been a torment to the devil. And when Job begins to understand that his righteous life was tormenting his enemy, it sets Job free. So God comes to him and visits him in the whirlwind, and he begins to minister to Job, and he says, Job, did you make creation? And Job says, no. He says, Job, did you make the seasons? Well, of course, the answer is no. Job, can you control the influence of the heavens? None of us can. The answer would be no. Job, can you control the wild animals? Can you meet the donkey? Can you look after the eagle? Can you, can you nurture the horse? Of course, the answer is no. Job can't do any of that. And then he says, Job, can you handle Leviathan? And if you go to the last verse in Job 41, he says, this one, can you handle him? He says, he's the king over all the children of pride. 
The devil is the king over the bottomless pit. He's the one in Isaiah that said, thy pomp and thy, thy pomp, thy pride, pomp is pride, you'll be brought low. He's the one that said, I'll ascend to the king, sides of the north. I will sit on the throne of the Most High. He was trying to take the throne. And now God comes to him in Job 41 and says, can you handle this Leviathan? What he's trying to tell that prophet who the word of God comes to is he's saying, look, Job, your life has been a torment to the devil. You think you've gone through this. You think you've had to endure that. You think you've had to sit here and, and long and miss. But I've been watching you the whole time, Job. And what you don't know is there's been a council in heaven. What you don't know is you, you can't take the devil and lead him by a hook in his mouth. But I just did. He said, can you play with him like a bird? I think that's verse 3 or 4 if you bring it up on the screen. Can you play with this Leviathan like a bird? He literally was handling him. Can you put a double bridle on him? He goes, in, he goes on to say, his heart is like a millstone. His heart is the nether. His scales none can pierce. One time Brother Branham said he ran into a creature in the middle of the night by vision. He said he was like wrinkled iron. And he said, perhaps even a piercing bullet would not get through that armor. He said, I have a pretty good idea who that is. He said, he was hideously dark and he was coming after me. Not dark like our colored brethren, but a different kind of a creature. And here in Job 41, God is asking his servant, can you handle this one who is so, his scales, nothing can get between it. Then his iron is as straw. That's, everything is as a stubble. Can you handle the devil, Job? And Job, of course, the same as all the other answers. He say, no, I can't. And I, you've declared things that are too wonderful for me to hear. In other words, Job is a prophet. He was catching the revelation. The reason why I've gone through these things, the reason why I've done it, is not because there was a flaw, like the accuser said. It's not because, uh, you know, man is just a waste, like I thought. Not because cursed was the day I was born, like I, like I felt at one point. But the reason why I've gone through these things is to torture God's enemy and to show that the power of God is stronger no matter what the devil puts on my life. And when he got that revelation that nobody, that, that, that nothing this, this devil can do, nothing this Leviathan can do is without a purpose in God, he says, I've heard things too wonderful for me to hear, and I repent. He repented of his, of his old ideas. Oh, this is so hard, and there's no answers, and why am I going through this? He changed all that, brother, sister. And God's got some other people who've been made perfect in the blood of Jesus Christ. There's none like them. And the reason we go through some of the things we go through is because God wants to show there's none like this son or daughter of mine. You can't do it, Satan. 
And as we sometimes wonder, are we alone? Are we, are we misguided? Do we have, do, what, what happened? God is watching over us from a high the whole time. If our desire is to serve him, God has never taken his eyes off. He's just watching, seeing there's one who believes. There's one who walked right into the fiery furnace. There's one who's not afraid of their testimony. Not afraid of who they've been made in Jesus Christ. It's a love affair to them. He'll be there. He'll never fail us. He'll never leave us. Aren't you glad to be living in the day when prophecy is being fulfilled? As our brother said, isn't today an hour to be a Christian? That enemy that has troubled so many. God called you and I to trouble him. By the scripture, by the word of God, we couldn't do it in ourselves. We couldn't manufacture this. But if prophecy has got to be fulfilled, then he'll raise up stones to, to fulfill the prophecy if he has to. He'll find somebody that'll believe his word. He'll find somebody, if he has to pick them up a thousand times, he'll pick them up a thousand and one times that they be an overcomer. Don't change your Christian walk, brother, sister. Don't change, don't, don't, don't let the devil stir up something to make you lose your confidence. The love of God will see us through. Just love him and serve him, and everything will work out fine, Brother Brandon said. How we found it so. We found it so. Could I invite the musicians? If we've had to recognize that God is using our trial, using our testimony to pour it on the devil, and we've had a different idea Let's be like Job. Let's repent of it this morning. If we had to wonder, what I, why am I here? What am I doing? Let's be like Esther. Let's change our revelation and recognize I'm here to fulfill the word of God. Isn't that glorious? Shall we stand? Ray, I don't know if you have a song in your heart. Good. I found it so. I found it so. Do we sing that one? It just comes to. I don't. Brother, you lead. I'm sorry to do this to him, but we, this was my part. Now this is his part. We need his help. No, I don't. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, oh, I can face tomorrow. Because he
If you're, if you're out on the connection, why don't we sing this one more time? I just want to encourage you, uh, remote, let's consecrate our homes, our place of worship. Let's lift our hands to him and just declare, Lord, because you live, I can face tomorrow. Oh, be I'll say yes, Lord. I'll say yes. It's an F. I'll say yes. 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 Oh, I'll say Christian Brother Harold would sing a song and I loved it so much. Just a congregation song. I feel good. Just to know I've been redeemed makes me feel good. I hope you're feeling good this morning. Amen. Thank God for the word that makes us feel so good. Well, I feel good. I feel good. Just to know I've been redeemed makes me
to see some familiar faces and worship and those that I know are faithful to the house of God and aren't here this morning. God bless you. Keep pressing the battle. Love and appreciate you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've been gathered at a little feast this morning. Father, I believe that you've been mindful of our requests. You've been mindful of our situation. And Lord, you, you've expressed your care. You've expressed your mind this morning in some way. And we pray, Father, that in assurance and that in grace, there would be a, a spiritual Esther, a spiritual bride. Amen. Just commune and feast with the King of Kings afresh today, tomorrow, as we step into eternity. May it not diminish one bit, O oh God, but may you fan the flames of fire to burn ever brighter. May a sound like as a rushing mighty wind be, uh, be amongst us, O God. Not the wind, but the God who was in the wind. May, O God, you be just stirring our hearts and our pure minds by way of remembrance. O God, how great thou art. Let your, let your glory, let your grace be expressed in your people. And Lord, may we be your humble servants. May we be, O oh God, those lived voices continuing to live, continuing to be a, a light. Father, you know how much you think of this, the blood-washed body of Christ here, and so happy to see you work great things amongst them. We pray, Father, that you would remember everyone in this divine meeting, and may they leave just encouraged this morning, this afternoon. Father, be in the gathering this evening. We ask for these mercies in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I feel good. Just to know I've been redeemed. Well, I feel good. Oh, I feel good. Just to know I've been redeemed makes me feel good. Yes, I feel good. Oh, I feel good. Just to know I've been redeemed makes me feel good. Do you feel good Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap this morning. I'll tell you, <laughs> I enjoyed the Word of God this morning. I enjoyed that Haman was put in his place 
and we were shown our place this morning. Isn't God good to us? This is like heaven to me. We find many people who can't understand. We find many people who can't understand why we are so happy and free. Well, we've crossed over Jordan to Canaan's fair land, and this is like heaven to me. is like heaven to me. I've crossed over Jordan to Canaan's fair land, and this is like heaven to me. Oh, when I get happy, I sing and I shout. The devil don't like it, I see. But I'm filled with the Spirit, there isn't a doubt. And that's what's the matter with me. Oh, this is like heaven to me. Yes, this is like heaven to me. Oh, I've crossed over Jordan to Canaan's fair land. And this is like heaven to me. And we've heard the sweet music, the heavenly chord, from glory land over the sea. It's a soul-thrilling message from Jesus our Lord, and this is like heaven to me. Jordan to Canaan's fair land, and this is like heaven to me. So it was in Revelations chapter 5. After Revelations 4, when, when the Lamb came and took the book, they sang a new song. What song are they singing? Amen. Oh, hallelujah. We ought to be happy. We ought to sing and we ought to shout. Let's sing verse, let's just sing verse 3 again. And we get to the chorus. Now, I want you all to participate. None of this, like, let, let's, let's just lift our hands as a wave offering unto him. Don't, don't do this, okay? Don't, don't do that. If you really mean it, and you really enjoyed the word, and something struck your soul, and you saw your place, you ought to give thanks to God. You ought to give praise to him this morning. Let's sing verse 3. We've heard the sweet music, the heavenly call, from glory land over the sea. It's a soul-thrilling message from Jesus our Lord, and this is like heaven to me. Oh, this is like heaven to me. Yes, this is like heaven to me. Oh, I've crossed over Jordan to Canaan's fair land. And this is like heaven to me. Amen. Oh, I felt like I've been in heaven today. You know, I, uh, I've known Brother Darren for many years. And I thought, you know, I, I really don't need to tell him 
that there's a line here. You know, and it's, it's called no man's land. You're not supposed to go into it. But you know what? Today we found out every little bit of land belongs to God. Amen. And footsteps is possession. Amen. So when he stepped over the line this morning, he was just showing this is our land. Amen. And I believe we ought to take our land. Oh, thank God. Brother Moses, wherever you are, are you still there? Come down and pray for us. The original life, the original seed, if we can. The original life, the original seed, the original word is what I believe. The Son of Man is revealed, the same. 